idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is Stacy Jewell. Stacy is the owner of Homeostasis, a lifestyle brand for home, spirit, and body. This brand is a culmination of her entire life's work and merges all of her interests and skill sets into one brand. She has a passion for conscious living that promotes wellness for both humanity and the earth. She takes joy in living a lifestyle that promotes minimalism so that there is time for the important things such as healthy relationships, the freedom to travel, and the opportunity to experience. Prior to homeostasis, she was a a trained financial analyst and business manager for both the the for-profit and non-profit sector. She has a deep love for and connection to the metaphysical aspects of life. When she's not building her brand, she's out hiking and exploring with her daughter. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so Hello, much. Hello, Stacy. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. <laughs> it's nice to have you and bring in the Aquarian energy for us. Absolutely. <laughs> it's one of those Doesn't usually disappoint. <laughs> yeah, we need more water. <laughs> My brother's an Aquarian. I, I feel quite at home around Aquarians. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, it's one nobody else understood him. I did. <laughs> it's a it's a difficult sign to understand i'm not even entirely sure an aquarian understands their own self so that's part of the beauty mm-hmm. <laughs> all that all that mystery reflecting water definitely Absolutely. i loved in your bio i loved seeing the uh the modeling stuff because we, we both have that in common and so that was fun to see i didn't know that i was when i first when Jerry first said he booked you, I just went and saw your new podcast that you were doing. And you had mm-hmm. some really great guests on there so far. So when I dug in a little bit deeper, it was nice to see that as fun. I model too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> data, model, I just data modeling, but it's, it's still modeling. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, that was definitely an interesting time of life um, when, when all that was going on. It was definitely something I had always wanted to pursue for a good portion of my life, but uh, a lot of fear got in the way from me pursuing it earlier. Um, so it was uh, it was definitely trippy, the whole experience. Um, it's an interesting industry for sure. Oh yeah, um, I, I when I left, I was so glad. And my mother got me into it. She was out there in New York with Ford and it was, it's crazy. But I am, I think everyone that gets into it and survives it is better for it. Absolutely. <laughs> you come out with a whole different perspective on the smoke and screen and personalities and yourself and it's crazy. But like 10% yeah. less soul, right? Well, <laughs> like I mean, I don't know about that. Depends how far you sold out. <laughs> yeah, and really truly. It's like any other industry, I suppose, in those ways. But it's so let's let's just dive on in. What So here we are, this is our dream section and people are getting so confused between Nox Mente, which was our first baby. And then our second baby is the obelisk. And this one really focuses in on dreams, but we meander. I like meandering. And since you're an Aquarian, Mm -hmm. I hope we meander. I got got a meandering (laughs) for you. Absolutely. Here we go right away. (laughs) You can now go to everythingisdemons.com. 
to get to our is website. Is that what you sent me, Jer? No. Yes, I did send it to you. Everything that's Jerry's like hashtag. Everything is demons. It's like his baby. Now I guess he has a. He have a I own the domain. Has. I own the domain now. Everything is demon. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, okay. and uh, I got to thank Rimstick for bringing that up. Yeah, it's trending. Everything is demon. All right. Jerry's really pushing that. It's like his thing. And I the the best totally. part is I don't believe it. So. Yeah, no, it's like his joke, so it's funny that it's a site. It's like, that's Jared. What is Instagram? <laughs> All right, exactly. I'll shut up now. Go for it. <laughs> you don't have to shut up. And see, that's why I need you on cam. Anyway, let's go. So, again, welcome to the dream. Getting into my serious yeah. voice. So yeah. let's talk. Let's let it. Let us do dive back into your early days, and let's look at what you can recall of the stuff that sticks out that is pushed way far back as far as you can recall and this can be anything let's just pull out any detail you can find wow taking it way back well, i feel like i have a pretty good uh recollection of the early years um you know definitely some memories are more vibrant than others but um as far as memories go uh, it's funny, you know, that I'm an Aquarius because one of my, the memory that just came to my head was um, actually when I was learning how to swim and I grew up in South Florida. So you pretty much learn how to swim before you can walk just because you're surrounded by so many different bodies of water. And uh, I just remember swimming before I could ever do really anything else, couldn't even effectively speak. Uh, and I remember my dad snatching me up out of the pool because there was a pygmy rattlesnake like swimming directly behind me, like coming after me. It was aggressive. And uh, I just I just remember that like it was yesterday. So like going back to like one of my first memories, I think it's that because I had to have been like, I don't know, one, two, maybe somewhere in there. Oh, my God, that actually dips into two of my bad bad things for me snakes in water yeah <laughs> oh, yeah no it, it's just funny you know that water is such a big part of my life at such an early age considering my sign and even though aquarius is an air sign you know it's just as much an air sign as, as it is a water sign you know because we're the water bearers but yes um, yeah so it's interesting that you know i just kind of tied those two things together as we're sitting here talking about it because that's not a question you get very often like what's your first memory but yeah, this is the thing about Florida, too, that's always intrigued me. So I do. I love the panhandle the most, but there is there are so many creepy crawlies down there. And it's so hot most of the year that for me, I need moss and fern. Uh, and so, you know, like it's just too, yes. too hot for me. It's too intense and too many creepy crawlies. And those the creepy crawlies are always, I think, I think I can override the heat and everything. It comes down to all the creepy crawlies. The first time I consciously remember a palmetto bug isn't yeah. you know how you know how big they are. And if the there's like a, a law in the universe when they're flying and if you're in the room, they they fly so terribly they're gonna get you. They're gonna come totally. at you. Yes. <laughs> no. Yeah, they're horrifying. If you don't like roaches, then you're in for a treat if you meet a palmetto bug. <laughs> they're like they're like dinosaur size. Yeah, cat, they're massive. My cats love to eat them. So. Totally. Oh my god. It's a good snack. Oh yeah, it's a day, that's a meal. 
<laughs> so anyway, we're so see, this is already Aquarian. Uh, uh, so, okay. That's a cool first memory. It's interesting. Did you, so I want to dig into that a little bit. So with the idea of snakes, did that affect how you view snakes later on? Or did you inherently have a fear of them or not? Um, you know, I think people have fear of snakes because other people want them to have fear of snakes. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. this really weird, like club that, I mean, just seems to form. Um, so in my earlier years, I feel like I had a fear of snakes because other people that were surrounding me did. So it was like an adoptive fear, if that makes sense. Um, but now in adulthood, you know, I get like, I get really pissed off when people post on like, you know, Facebook or whatever, that they killed this grass snake that was in their yard. Like it really like kind of infuriates me. Like, I just, I just think that, you know, a snake's just out there being a snake and I'd hate to yeah. be killed or punished because I was just in the wrong spot at the wrong time. So I try to have empathy, especially for other creatures um, that, you know, they're just out there doing what they do. So whatever fear I did have of snakes in earlier years, I feel like I kind of just trashed any of those ideals and just kind of started seeing things for what they were or are. Well, where I want to take this, I, I, I did have a fear and I think it was exactly like you said, it was an introjection from those around me. And then I mm -hmm. went to own Minnie and be part of her pathological societies. And when I was belly dancing, I had snakes and stuff. I love mm -hmm. snakes, but mm -hmm. I, I did have that fear. And I think ex what you're saying is exactly right. And this is what happens to us. You know, mm -hmm. it's a psychological principle, but where I wanted to go with that was, did you remember early on having snakes in dreams? Hmm. That's a great question. I'm trying to think back to some dreams that have been prevalent in my life. Um, I'm not saying that snakes were all that present, but what is often present is spiders. Mm. So I dream a lot about spiders. So just since we're here, let's, let's look at some of that. What how does grandmother spider show up in your dreamscape? And if she's transformed, how is she transformed? So I've had spiders show up in a few different capacities. My most recent dream, um, it was, it was, it wasn't that I was afraid of spiders or anything of the like. It's just that they kept, they just kept replicating and I couldn't contain them. Um, so, you know, that, you know, when I start to, you know, I'm a, like I said, like you guys said in my bio, I'm an analyst by trade. I'm also Aquarian. So they kind of just go hand in hand. So, I mean, for me, it's usually not enough to just say, oh, okay, this happened or this dream happened and we're just going to move on from it. Like I like to do a full on analysis of it and start researching what things mean, you know, just, it's like the obsessive compulsive inside of me. But, um, it's not usually a fear of spiders. It's usually just like, you know, uh, control things. Like I can't control them or they're trying to control me or, or something of the like. When the, so in the dream, when they're trying to control you, how could you give us an example of how that works or plays out? Sure. So like, you know, I think one of the, the deep, deep things, you know, for me, 
And I keep, I hate to keep saying about being Aquarian, but honestly, like the, their textbook traits of Aquarius, like any other Aquarius you run into just seems to have the same thing. Aquarius. the feel of restriction or anything like that. So when I've had that in dreams and more specifically with spiders, it usually has something to do with me being caught up in the web. So meaning that I can't, I can't get out on a cord of my own free will. Something's binding me there. Yeah, that makes, that makes good logical sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's move back to the snake in the water with this early period and other memories that kind of surface around that period or a little, you know, just young you, what kind of stuff did you find interesting? What was your world about as a very young girl? So I think like with most of us, we're somehow shaped by our pop culture or it's at least a really good suggestion to our brains as to what we should be into or you know dive into um for me from a pop culture perspective one of my earliest memories was watching the movie et and et has had such a huge impact i think on just kind of the way i view the world um, even as a small child, I was always into things that were otherworldly, um, namely, you know, being extraterrestrials and especially at the suggestion of that, of that movie. And, you know, if we look back in our history of pop culture, oftentimes we see other species or extraterrestrials or whatever you want to call them being painted in kind of a negative light. You know, it's always seems to be this, you know, propaganda that we're going to be attacked or, you know, that they're out to get us or anything like that. And what really resonated with me about E.T. is that it was kind of more, you know, a, a benevolent E.T. film, you know, even though it had its dark moments with, you know, the FBI and the CIA chasing after them and trying to locate the ship. The, the relationship between Elliot and E.T. was just kind of pure. And I think... Um, you know, kind of what we all expect to experience in our childhood is just this mystical, magical relationship with these, these things that, you know, we don't know as humans. Um, so for me, that's, I mean, I don't know if that's, it's not very profound, but that, that movie has always stuck with me. It will always be a favorite of mine. Um, and it, I would say it definitely helped to shape my worldview of how I feel about the universe. It's also an allegory for mind control. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> Spielberg, Spielberg, you know, well, I won't get into Spielberg, but. I no, mean, I totally get what you're there's, saying. There's though. a lot of uh, pedophilic overtones in that movie. Totally. Watch yeah, it again, you know, as an adult and it's like, oh, Jesus, this is creepy. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of, like the whole secret space program the, the fakery of that is kind of encoded in that movie. But yeah. I digress. But no, on you don't a, have to digress. I'm with you on all that. Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's overlaid in so much. But then there is that emotional overlay, which is in part part of all that that Jerry just brought up. But the, the emotional overlay of Elliot and E.T.'s relationship is... Uh, is a big factor and it, it says a lot about people. I mean, it's how I felt about Dumbo and mm -hmm. my relationship 
with the world around me and how I identified with Dumbo and his relationship to those around him. I mean, ultimately these things are, yes, they're, there's this whole MK thing going on. There's this whole mind control aspect, but there's also this whole how we project into it that becomes an interesting top layer that pulls us in. So mm -hmm. I appreciate I appreciate that is uh, something you brought forward. Mm -hmm. Definitely. What about, and pop culture, you know, in general, this could be said about pop culture as a general rule. It's, you know, social engineering, really. Mm -hmm. But that's why we talk about these things. That's why we look at what is, what affected us at different periods in our lives. And then as we move forward and unfold and see how things unfurrow, uh, it's interesting because then we can start to unravel ourselves from that web. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's short of living, you know, in a cave, most of us <laughs> had uh, the same experiences, you know, with pulp culture, whether we wanted to be in it or not, you know, if you're, if you're living in the society, we're, we're not going to escape some societal BS that comes at us. Yeah, absolutely. And in a way, this is part of the labyrinth in which mm -hmm. we find ourselves. And so for those of us that are seeking, those things become very meaningful later when we, in hindsight, look at how we were bound, very much like in the tarot, the the Eight of Swords mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. So, so back there with all that, so you're in Florida, usually I think of Floridians as having a relationship a pretty hearty relationship with nature were you mm -hmm. also really engaged with the natural world absolutely absolutely yes uh you know i lived in florida up until the point of i was about 25 i think when i moved up to north carolina so now i'm in the the heart of the appalachians so i'm surrounded by nature literally every day um but even before coming up here yeah like my best friend and my next door neighbor was my grandmother um and my grandmother was super old school, you know, grew up in the Great Depression. So, you know, life for her was always meaningful because she was focused on the right things. She didn't get distracted by all of the things that come at us today. So, you know, some of my earliest memories are with her and, um, you know, something that we just seemed to do almost on, it seemed the daily basis was go fishing and just spend time on the lake. And in Florida, I mean, you're going to see a metropolis of life that lives on a lake, whether you're looking at, you know, crawdads or alligators or snakes or birds or turtles, uh, iguanas, you know, all these crazy animals that are just so super mystical to begin with. Like, I don't know, unless you're just completely not paying attention to your, to your surroundings, you can't live in Florida and not have, you know, some form of magical experience there in nature. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember Jerry. all the Gulf Breeze stuff that went that went on like was it 30, 20 years ago? The UFO sightings. I don't know about those. You'll have to tell me about those offline. Yeah. Jerry, well no, fill us in right now a little. So there was a group of UFO sightings in Gulf Breeze, Florida. I think it's I don't know the about West these either, Stacy. Yeah, if not, this is not a, a hot one that I've heard of. <laughs> so there was this one guy who had uh, filmed all these crazy UFOs on, in Gulf Breeze, right off the coast, over the, over the water and stuff like this. Let's see this picture. 
Mm. These kind of crown-shaped UFOs. I'll yeah. Put, I'll put a link in yeah. chat, too, so you guys can see it. Yeah, for God's sake, don't show it. No, no. <laughs> We'll get in trouble again. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but anyway, he filmed a ton of these UFOs above the water that were crowned. That's not one of them. Anyway, like this one here. Nice. <laughs> they were they were really just crazy looking UFOs. Yeah. Those are pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, they're intense. Yeah, and considering that most pictures of UFOs suck or blurry or whatever, or you know, and today this is today people take pictures with their their phones, so you can't really zoom in on stuff, and the lighting's all automatic, and you can't change anything. This guy actually caught these things with a camera. Um, what's this pack? This one looks familiar. I don't think that's the one I was thinking of. But um, anyway, that's what was going on in Gulf Breeze. I believe it was all a hoax. But it, it, it did catch the imagination of many. Totally. Miami has a lot of uh, sightings. 1987 was when it was. I was not even alive yet. <laughs> <laughs> you were coming down yeah, from the clouds. Close. I was close. I was close to being alive. <laughs> So actually with with that as a springboard, early you, so obviously you did have this great relationship with nature. And I love that your granny was your best friend. I I'm so with you on that. And fishing's mm -hmm. amazing. There's just mm -hmm. something, oh man, there's something amazing about fishing. Uh were you a mystical child? Yes, but I didn't know it. So I grew up uh, staunchly conservative Christian. Um, so I feel like a lot of stories start this way. Um, but so dabbling around with anything mystical was definitely never encouraged. Um, but nonetheless, you know, when you have those abilities naturally, doesn't really matter whether or not you dabble it's going to at least come in and out when it seems fit so I would deal with a lot of different things as a child but I was never able to speak about them because it just the risk was too great um so like most of us we just stay in our little repressed worlds until adulthood and all of those repressions come out rearing their ugly heads and then you deal with it then um but yeah, the, when I go back and I think about some things that have occurred, uh, especially in early years, I definitely know now, knowing what I know, that I definitely had abilities then. I was just uh, unsure of what they were. Yeah, that's a, a beautiful thing to at least be in touch with that early on and allow it to be in instead of pushing it away. Mm -hmm. Did Did it inform your dream world at all let's let's take a little look at young you and how the dream world played a part in your early life absolutely so i had this dream i want to say i was probably four or five um and i have had the, this dream has stuck with me in vivid detail for that long so i'm 32 i had it when let's just say i was five so that's a really long time to have a dream stick around in your psyche and you can remember it as if, you know, it happened yesterday. So 
And I didn't know at the time, I remember being really confused as to whether it was a dream or if it was prophecy. So I remember just being that young and kind of asking myself, you know, was this uh, on a court of, you know, watching something that scared me or was this, was this really going to happen or was it real life in some reality? So the dream, I'll just go ahead and tell you the dream or the condensed version. So I had this dream that I was walking through hell and we can get into the whole aspects of heaven or hell after this, but you know, at the time, you know, growing up, I was very, uh, very Christian. So heaven and hell were most certainly a real thing for me then. Um, and I remember walking through hell as if I was like a visitor. So much like you would walk down a prison hallway and you would see everybody in their cells, just doing their thing. I had the same kind of thing, but walking through, you know, the fiery pits of hell and just seeing suffering and, and torture and all these things. So what made it really trippy for me, I think the part that really scared me the most at that moment was that I could smell burning flesh. Like, it, like it was literally in my nose follicles. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a dream. It was a hundred percent happening. And I didn't really know what to make of that at that time. Um, and to just be five years old and to see tremendous amounts of suffering and then have the entire sensory experience happening. So sight, you know, taste, smell, you could taste, like you could taste flesh in the air. Um, and that's, that's a pretty horrific dream for a five-year-old. Um, and I still don't know a hundred percent the purpose of it. But I'm not entirely sure that I would even classify that as a dream anymore. I think that was something different. But at the time, I didn't know any other terminology or any other way other than to just call it a dream and try to explain it. So that was pretty trippy to have. That's amazing. And it brings in, it's one of those things I'm always looking for is that other sensate stuff. Mm -hmm. So that, to get that so early and the fact that it stayed with you for 30 years Mm -hmm. is is amazing so smell and the the taste of the smell the way something on a barbecue you know uh yes. is yep. is remarkable stacy what did so did you tell your parents when you woke up yeah i mean it it, it truly scared me i think i think it probably turned me white and i just kind of remember i kind of remember telling my mom and i can remember the look on her face to this day like, um, it's kind of like one of those things, like if you were talking to a child and something really serious was happening, you would kind of downplay the situation in hopes to bring down their fear level. So like, I could almost see that whole thing happening on my mom's face. Like she was trying to downplay her own emotional reaction to what I was telling her. Um, you know, so her advice to me was to just, you know, to sleep with my Bible and that's, not really an uncommon piece of advice for a Christian family. Um, you know, they believe that that's the, the end all be all tool to get anything unwanted away from you. So, I mean, I did that, you know, I slept with my Bible underneath my pillow for a long time, but um, it's, it's just, you know, we could grow up in different families and I think that there are families that are really open to talking about experiences and then there's other families that just believe that your experiences are yours and not to necessarily share them. 
So my family kind of leans more towards that side, that experiences are private. Um, so it was never, you know, it was never something we revisited after that initial um, conversation about it. So you, you said you weren't, now you're not quite sure it was a dream. What, mm -hmm. what do you think it was? I kind of feel like now that, and perhaps it was astral, um, that it was, it was literally just a trip to a, a different reality. Um, so it doesn't, you know, some of the things that happened in it just, they weren't indicative of a dream. Like those things don't happen in dreams. Those things happen in, in actual experiences that are happening. Um, so that's kind of why I feel like at this point that I literally just probably picked up out of my body at some point, um, and just kind of went to another place. And, and I don't know if I went to that, that's where the whole prophecy thing comes in. I don't know if I went to another place because I needed to see that suffering because it has a purpose for my role here. Um, I don't really know. Was there, okay, so early on, so let's, let's unravel a little bit more this, the early you, did your, was there, are your parents still together? Yes. Yes, they are. They've been together for, I don't know, 50 something years, long time. Okay. Yeah. So, and that also is a testament to you. It's very Christian that, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things I like in Christianity though, is like this deep commitment people have mm -hmm. uh, to the things they do commit to the deep Christians. Uh, yeah. So, all right. So there wasn't any of that kind of weird strife going on mm -mm. between the parents it's interesting I, I feel like i want more of this this imagery it's so rare coming from a young child of four mm -hmm. or five with all this sensate stuff mm -hmm. okay so at this period also were you experiencing what levels of lucidity let's go there were you experiencing at that point Hmm. That's hard. That's a hard question. Cause you know, like, like as, as vivid as that one is, you know, anything surrounding that, you know, it's, it's hard for me to even remember back there. Yeah. Now. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like that whole that experience, like defined that whole era for me. Like, you know, anything that happened outside of that was just kind of, you know, overshadowed by this experience that like is completely un unforgettable. Yeah. I know that things happen like, because I, I know, you know, that I would have visits and stuff, you know, from, and I don't know if these were things in my imagination or if they were things that were actually there, but you know, all the stuff that they put in fairy tales, like they got those ideas from somewhere, they exist in some reality. So whether that be fairies or, you know, animals that can talk or, you know, other beings, it's just, those kind of experiences were not uncommon for me either then. And they just, they always, it's always seemed normal. I mean, yeah, it's never, you know, been taboo to me. Did you have any relation or kin that was military? Um, yes. My cousin is a pretty high ranking uh, officer in the army. And then, okay. um, you know, my uncle served in a war. And so the military definitely was, is in my family, not any of my directs so not my parents or my brother, but. 
Yeah. And so also with young you, what was, I mean, this is, this just blows me away. It doesn't blow me away. What blows me away is that you remember it because I think we all have that detail. We forget. And, mm-hmm. and you already know that memory and dreams, all this stuff is so transient. And once you try to reach back, it's, it's like dust, you know, what's mm-hmm. what. Totally. The dreamscapes. So in general for young you, and this has to be way, way back, but young you is, has there been a change in it? Was it always that vivid? Was it always a full sensate immersion for you? Or, you know, I guess, tell us how the dreamscape has appeared to you generally through your younger life and not where you are now. Sure. So dreams for me, have, um, even into adulthood, it's always been hard to distinguish uh, reality from, from dreamscape. So um, when I do, I don't dream a lot, um, but it seems that when I do dream, they're like powerhouse dreams. And I can directly tie in adulthood my dreaming to the um, level of meditation practice I have in my daily life. So if I'm not meditating and I've, I have not meditated in a long time, I won't dream very much. Um, and definitely not ones that are so vivid that I can remember every detail. Now, when I'm actively meditating and connecting in, then those dreams almost become nightly. I will say that all of my crazy train dreams have always happened in naps. That's why I'm not, I'm not a big, huge fan of naps because when I have dreams that absolutely shake me, it's usually going to be inside of a nap. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, it's a fast way to get into that state. Actually, that's why they always say, wake up and get up and do something and then go back Mm -hmm. uh, to, to reset that program. Okay. So I want to get, I want to get deeper into this idea, but I wanted to also knock out, I guess, early on here, prophetic stuff. I just get a sense that mm-hmm. there's some prophetic stuff in you and you are an Aquarius. So I don't feel mm-hmm. that that's far reaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not ever been so bold that, you know, I've had a dream and then, you know, bam, the next day it happened. Um, but there's been uh, glimmers of things that have come through dreams and then they've happened. Um, and a lot more so I would say on a, on a, on my own personal level. So maybe it's, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy, who knows? Um, but I just, I've always had this keen intuition that when I choose to listen to it, I'm, I'm pretty tapped in. Um, so it's just, I know that something's definitely there. And one of the biggest frustrations for me in adulthood, you know, once I finally started researching this stuff was that, you know, most of the time it comes through when it wants to, I would like the ability to be able to do it um, because I'm prompting it, but you know, that also requires a level of spiritual maturity and practice. So, you know, you have to put in the time to be able to get there too, but um, so the in and outs have been happening, like I said, since childhood and, and now in adulthood, you know, I spent a lot of my time trying to figure out how, how to harness that energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's for most of us that are 
on this path. It's a, it's a continuing journey. No matter where you get, there's always you know, there's always more road ahead, which Absolutely. is also exciting. I find mm -hmm. so. <laughs> how terrible to get to the end of the road. So with moving into the idea of what is prophetic versus intuition for you where's that access hmm it's a hard question um i would say intuitive intuitive thoughts or you know transfers for me are uh full body so i can completely feel those in every way shape or form um just between, you know, like the sensations that you feel in your body, whether that be goosebumps or nodding in your stomach or whatever, whatever your telltale sign is for your intuition. So intuition totally uh, takes over my whole being. Prophecy, however, I didn't like thinking back to that dream and what I call, you know, could be prophecy. I didn't have those kind of full body experiences that you have with intuition. I don't know if that really makes sense or from what I'm trying to convey is coming across. Um, I guess, me. yeah, prophetic is more cerebral. Uh, intuition, intuition is more, um, you know, like I said, total body. You're feeling it in all capacities. Yes. So, so yes, carry on. No, just so for me, I, I could distinguish between intuition and prophecy on that particular gene, just based on the telltale signs of my body. And I don't remember experiencing anything other than the sensory experiences of smelling and tasting. I, it, would, it was not the same as what intuition gives me. Let us move into some of the outstanding dreams that you can recall now from your life, if you will. Sure. Um, and then just kind of set up the time period. So we have like a timeline in context to, to this foundation, this foundation of your young life. So thinking back to my young life, it seems that, you know, I didn't, I didn't dream journal my whole life. Uh, I only started doing that in adulthood, but I really wish I would have done that back then. But you know, when you're young, you don't really care about those kind of things. But um, it seems, you know, being 32 years old now and trying to think back to those, those times, it's like uh, all other dreams I ever had, and I know I had them, um, seem to be blocked out. And the only memory that I have is of that, the one I shared about walking through hell. And that's another thing that's weird about that dream is that it, what is what is the purpose for that to literally like darken out all other memories or dreams not memories but dreams that i had then so that i'm forced to relive that one over and over like that's i'm trying to find purpose in that and the only thing that i can come to is that that was a um what's that phrase uh an Easter egg. That was an Easter egg yes. um, for my future. So that's yes. the only sense that I can make of it is that it's not that that's, that time has not come yet, but when it does, it, it's going to put me right back into that moment that that dream occurred. When that dream happened, do you remember the sense of self there? Was there a sense of ego, like as far as who you were at the time, as a put, you know, were you the four-year-old little girl there or were you older? 
I could definitely say in that dream, I was definitely curious. Um, as much as that dream did scare me, it didn't paralyze me to the point where I, I, I wanted to be out of it. I do actually remember wanting to know more and, and wanting to know why those people had to suffer or what, what had caused their suffering and for them to be there. So I remember, I remember being curious and I remember having empathy um, for others that were in a much uh, misfortunate situation. Um, so I don't, I know at that time, you know, when you're four or five years old, you're, unless you've had some really heartbreaking experiences in your life, you're still pretty innocent. Um, and you're still trying to see things without, you know, rose colored glasses on, you're trying to just actually see things for what they are and understand them. So I would definitely say I was coming from a spot of curious and empathetic. And so with, if we move forward, what is the next dream that stands out for you in your life from there Hmm. that you can recall? I'm going to go just straight to the ones that I had this year, because I would this, say that that's this fine. Year, okay, perfect. <laughs> so this year, um, I, I would say I had my spiritual awakening probably two years ago. Um, my spiritual awakening came with pregnancy and childbirth. So that was probably the catalyst that pushed me even into the, the things that I research now and what I dabble in and all of those things. Well, give us a look, walk mm -hmm. us into the dreams you're having now with your spiritual awakening. So give us a little synopsis of that. Sure. So, um, now I would say being awakened on the side definitely caused a different style of dreams, you know, uh, dreams in my early twenties, typically, had to do with self-sabotaging behaviors. So those were just coming out in forms of dreams. So I would call those dreams shallow um, if I needed to give it a, a, a designator because they were just things that were of, you know, earthly, worldly nature. And then when the awakening happened, it was like things were coming through that were actually of meaning and purpose and um, were lessons on how to live and how to balance and to view different worldviews and, and not to be so judgmental. So I would say the dreams on the awakened side were what were much more beneficial because they actually felt more like teachings. So if we fast forward to this year, um, you know, like most of us, we experienced some form of joblessness because of COVID. Um, so I work in the entertainment industry. So if anybody's been alive in 2020, there's not really been much entertaining that's happened. Um, so I was out of work for five months. I, I literally just went back three weeks ago. Um, so I had a lot of time on my hands, you know, to do all the things that I wanted to do, you know, so like a meditation practice, journaling, tarot, all these different things that you'd want to do, but you just never have time because you have a family and a life that you have to live and slave over in order to put food on the table. So during this time that I really just had this ability to connect with myself, um, all of these dreams became um, I'm going to just say they became astral, like they weren't 
they weren't dreams really they were experiences um it's it's funny because i was weaving in and out of time space um i could see time space i could i could get myself into moments of history and walk around in those moments and see what was happening um so it was to call them dreams is just kind of it makes me laugh now because those are so different than just like dreams that I had in the past. This is like dream world 2.0 after the awakening. Um, and like I said, dreams for me are completely tied in with my meditation practice. So if I'm like completely zeroed in and balanced, then I'm having some pretty amazing things happen. Um, if I'm caught up in myself or my ego, then I usually just have surface dreams. And most of the time I can't even remember them. Oops, I was, I thought it was muted. Yes, there's a, the meditation, especially for me, is a key in, in the deeper work we can do with, in the dream. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the lines become very blurred. And anyone mm -hmm. that follows anything, you know, listens to anything I talk about understands where I'm always kind of walking that liminal edge. And so, that is it's a it's integral and so it it makes complete sense to me when you when you say this so with this year that has unfolded and the time you've had to take a deeper dive and work on self get into self uh start doing this other kind of work that can fall to the side mm -hmm. what what are the fruits that have come forth? Give us some images, some symbols, some stuff to chew on. Sure. Oh, yeah. This, this year has been an amazing year. And for the most part, I've um, written down any of my really profound experiences. And these aren't necessarily dreams, but I will say that they're a product of being open to the dream world. Um, just some experiences that I've had this year just with other beings um, and reaching out to them and just, uh, some, just from really magical things that have happened. So for example, there was a mo there's been a few moments this year, but I can't remember what date it was, but it was like, uh, it was like a mass world of meditation. So I decided uh, with a friend that I was going to go ahead and, you know, participate in that. And, um, so I live in a really beautiful setting, you know, like I said, I'm in the heart of the Appalachians, so beautiful lush mountains. It's like a rainforest here. It constantly rains. So everything is just super green, beautiful, mystical. So I'm sitting on this hill doing this, this mass meditation with, you know, however many people in the world are participating. And it was the most amazing spiritual experience that I think I've ever had. Um, it's just like the clouds opened up and like the sun shone upon me in such a way that was so ethereal. And like, I literally just started crying, like just absolutely sobbing. Um, and it was like this, this feeling that came over my entire body. It's just like, it was like a hug from the inside. And it was just like, it felt so, um, like in this, in this world that we live in, oftentimes it feels so alone, but in this moment, I felt like I was backed by the entire universe. Like, so by all of the benevolent beings that take up residency here in this universe, like I just felt they were all with me. And it was like a, a pat on the back, like a, you've got this, like, welcome to the club. Like, it was just really amazing. Um, and you know, 
if anybody knows me that's listening they know that I'm not like much of a crier I'm not much of an emotional person that's not really that shocking for an Aquarian um so for me to embrace emotions and to just burst out crying is so against the egoic front that I usually have on so I mean for me this year has been a hundred percent about embracing emotions the good the bad the ugly um because you know everything that's been a product in my life that was not desirable for my own self has been has come from the suppression of emotions so I decided that this year was the year that I was going to start dealing with some of those of those things and that's been difficult because you know you're 32 years old in body, but you have the emotional intelligence often times of like a four or five year old, especially if you've been repressing them for that long. It's like coming up and growing up all over again, but you're expected to be a functioning adult and you're judged if you're not that. Um, so the whole, the whole year, I mean, everybody says that, you know, 2020 is blown, but for me personally, if it's been one of the best years for me, um, just from a growth perspective. Oh, absolutely. This is, if we consider everything a dream, I mean, everything about 2020 is a call to lucidity, to be mm -hmm. here now, and realize that yep. this is not a dream, but it's a dream and we're awakening within it, those of us who are recognizing that yep. idea. Mm -hmm. So uh, what, so in this year of, of 2020. Do you have specific dreams that you can share that have come through? And have any of them felt prophetic at all? Or, uh, you know, some down in the country, they call it dream and true. Mm -hmm. And so uh, anything like that? Has anything popped up in that vein? Um. Yes. So I've had uh, some, I'm going to say a dream. I think I had more than one, but I could only really recall this one um, about some, some like Hitler style stuff, which if we, we see what reality we're living in, that's, that's not very far fetched. I mean, Hitler didn't think that he was a bad person. He didn't think he was in the wrong. And I think that we, you know, we have a lot of things that are going on in our world right now by people who don't necessarily think that they're in the wrong. Um, so I just think it was interesting that, that Hitler popped into um, my dream sequence. And, and you know, it, there's a lot of other people out there that could pop into a dream sequence too and, and mean the same thing. Uh, I think a lot of the times, you know, Hitler's focused upon, but we have, we have very much the same type of monsters, if not worse, that exist in society today. But I don't know, just uh, going back to that dream and the way it came through, it kind of just seemed like, again, like another, another prophecy. Um, and the focus of this dream was to really kind of see between the words. So there were obvious words that were being said, but in this, this plane of the dreamscape, it's almost like I could see words in between words. And I know that sounds like some really trippy high shit, but like <laughs> I don't know how to explain it except for the fact that like there was the obvious overlay of like, okay, my subconscious wants me to see this, but there was actually like a message that was very deeper that I really had to focus to kind of see. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Oh, absolutely makes sense. And 
and that the in between is a big deal, especially in we're we're diving into these kinds of waters. So mm -hmm. the the in between words, the subtext, all that is at play always. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting when you tap into it. So yeah. what can you give us uh, the details in that dream? Set it up. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. He um he basically he was with a group of, I'd say, trusted people in his, his inner circle. Um, and there was one that was a part of this inner circle, but it kind of like subplanted there. He was, he was in the group, but you know, his, his, he had a mission, um, that he was on. And then me as this, this active participant in the group. So like I was there, but I could pop in and out of acting in the dream. So I wasn't, I wasn't a, a player all of the time. I could choose to be a player. And um, basically, you know, I, I, I have like an aside with this other person that's on this mission. Um, and, you know, Hitler's just talking to everybody around them. Like they're just complete dogs. Like just, just the things he's saying, the way he's looking, like just uh, like a complete lack of respect for human life, which, you know, we know that, that was obviously there. And um, the, the message was more so from this other person that was on this mission. And basically, he and I were there because we both had our own things to deal with in this, in this setup. Um, but I, don't, I can't even explain in words because I don't remember the exact words that he said to me. But he was basically giving me some insider information for my own mission. And it wasn't just, you know, cut and dry. It was definitely something that would be needed to be uh, decoded. Uh, also not shocking for the whole Hitler vibe. Um, so I remember taking that information and whatever he gave me was vital to my next step. Um, and, and my mission was warrior-like, but it was benevolent. Um, and, and that's not shocking either for me because I've always like kind of identified with the, like the warrior goddess kind of vibe, like, you know, just like the mama hen, the protector of the people kind of thing. So whatever information he gave me, which I wish I could remember the exact words is something that I needed for my next step. And it's, it's only because of that interaction with this person that I was able to make my next move in my mission. How dire were the circumstances? Uh, they were pretty dire. Um, I believe even just in that setup, um, he had had one of his inner circle people just like executed right there on the spot. And it was, it was very much a, you know, I'm not effing around with you kind of thing. It's just one of those power plays. Um, but it definitely involved life and death. Um, and it definitely involved my role um, with my part of the mission. The mission wasn't on my back, but I played a pretty big part in the um, mission moving forward. And did this feel like it was in the 30s and 40s, late 30s, early 40s, or did it feel modern and it just had those symbols put onto it? Um, both. So I was definitely um, time traveling in this dream because uh, there was a modern element to me. And there was also a modern element to the other person that was on a mission, even though he was dressed in the garb of that time. Um, mm -hmm. The scene that was playing out was was stuck in its proper time period. But 
I was going there to collect data of some sort that I needed from that particular point in history. And so is the other, I'm just going to call it an agent because it kind of had an agent feel. Um, and yeah. so is the other agent, but he had a, a deeper role because he was actually in the inner circle. So he was going to have to, you know, he was, he had been doing time there, building up that trust and having enough of an interaction to just be kind of in that sequence with them. But I was able to pop him out um, and have like a modern day conversation with him, like aside from them, but still also be fully present with them. And what gave you the idea? Is there a portal? And I think I heard you talking about, oh no, I think maybe it was someone interviewing you. Was there a portal involved in any way to traverse the time aspect that was going on, the differences? I'm trying to think, trying to think of the details and how I got, how I got into it and how I got out of it. Um, I remember coming into it in the middle of whatever was playing out. So it wasn't like I stepped through a, a veil or anything like that um, to get into this dream, but I do significantly remember popping out. So using some form of a tool to get back to whatever spot I needed to be for my mission. So I guess we could call that a portal. Um, it wasn't like a stargate. It didn't just like open up and I, you know, ran through it, but there was definitely yeah. some kind of um, mechanism that traversed me to where I needed to be. And also, so just to get more context to everything, when you think of, because there's, there's ideas of multiverse here. There are ideas of past lives and mm -hmm. all of this. So when you think of that period in time uh, that played out, what are your thoughts on that? Besides the atrociousness of what was going on, do you have any call to that period? Like you may have actually lived in that period of time? Uh, I definitely think so, because um, there was a time when I was in high school that I wanted to write a book about um, about uh, a young Jewish girl falling in love with a, a Nazi soldier. And then somebody pretty much told me, well, that was that's the premise of The Sound of Music. I'm like, well, damn it. Somebody already got to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I do remember wanting to write that book. And um, we had this we had a, a survivor a holocaust survivor that came to our school um when we were young and you know he was super old like he was you know at the point at that time when that was happening so i was probably like 15 or 16 you know that that was about the end of any survivors so i mean they were all just pretty much there weren't very many left um so like, I remember having this really strong connection to his story when he came and explained, you know, how, how he escaped with his family from concentration camps and thing like, things like that. And I am of German descent in this particular life. You know, my lineage is German. Um, according to the books, my German family left in the Palatine immigration. So that was way before any of this had ever happened. But um, so there's definitely always been a connection with me to that period of time. So I wouldn't rule out any past life um, notions with that. Um, anytime I feel super connected to something, I always tend to believe that there's something more there. 
Um, cause otherwise, why would you be so connected? There's so many things that come across your plate on a daily basis, like what causes something to stick or not. And so I have to tend to believe that if something's sticking, it's because there's a valid reason or a memory or, um, you know, a prophecy tied to that particular emotional reaction. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's, well, this is why I love all this stuff. There's it's open, it's open field for us to ponder and weave through with ideas and all that. Mm-hmm. What was the, so when you came out of this dream and this was this year, what was the mood that came out of the dream with you? Um, I would say the mood after that particular dream, it seemed to be urgency. Uh, And I say that because I came out of that dream feeling like I needed to act and feeling that I was not living up to the full potential as to why I'm here right now and why I chose to be a speck on this earth at this particular time convergence. And I mean, to be honest with us, I think, or I think most of us in this realm that you know dabble in these things are often pondering what our calling is what our purpose is if we're doing the right thing if we're doing enough it's all that egoic stuff that comes in you know because really all we need to do is just be i mean not that we're not going to miss anything that's meant for us you know it's just it's but it's funny you know especially for a personality like mine that has to psychoanalyze everything it's really hard to just be And, um, you know, I have a Piscean friend that has always encouraged me to live in this moment and just kind of get out of, you know, needing to plan 72 years ahead of myself. Um, So with that encouragement, like this is the first time in my life that I've ever probably lived in the now and in the present. And I truly don't worry about tomorrow or next week. And just it's it's really freeing to be in that kind of a mind space. but coming out of that dream, going back to that, it definitely felt like urgency. And it definitely felt like there was something that I needed to be doing for my role, but I was, I was missing the mark somehow, that there was something that was covered up that needed to be uncovered. And so I kind of just set out on a path from there of trying to figure out what that is. I still haven't figured it out, but. <laughs> Have you had dreams around that dream since it was this year? Um, I've had other dreams. I wouldn't say I had any like prequels or sequels to that dream. Um, going back to the the spider one, you know, that we talked about kind of towards the beginning, yeah. the, the most recent spider one I had was just like, literally just had all of these spiders that were just flowing out of everywhere. And like, I was just, I was trying to keep them all contained and they didn't want to be contained. And like, so that was another one I was trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's that? I mean, that sounds like anxiety coming through in the shape of a dream. Well, maybe well, not. well, yeah. What, so let's dig into that. Can you give us, can you set that dream up and tell us about it? Uh, sure. It was, it's like one of those dreams that felt quick. Um, you know, I don't really know how long it was, but it did, it's not a, an extremely detailed dream, but I just remember like, so these, these spiders started off as, you know, like a few, so you can, 
you can deal with a few things coming at you. So I was trying to put them like in this, like, like a, like a terrarium. So like almost like an ant aquarium, you know, those aquariums you had when you were a kid that like, no, I don't know what the, the ant, ant farms. farms. There we yeah. go. Not an aquarium. <laughs> it's a damn ant, not a fish. <laughs> so I remember like trying to put these spiders like in this ant farm and like, you know, three or four. Okay. I'm, I'm picking them up. I'm putting them in there. No, I just, I wanted them to be safe. So that was, that was the thing. I was like, no, like, this isn't good for you to be out here. And then like all of a sudden they just start multiplying at like rapid speeds. It's kind of like if you've ever encountered a mama spider that had 52 million babies on her back. Okay. Yeah. That's what happened. So like Creepy. all of these spiders <laughs> just start busting the hell out. I'm like, oh man, like I don't have enough hands. Like I started looking around for like other people to help me. I started like looking for tools to like start scooping them up. And then like somehow they get in this like laundry basket. So, you know, what? I must've started inside the house. So like if this, they get in this laundry basket. So I take this laundry basket outside to start like shaking out all these spiders. And it's, this part was kind of funny. I literally see like spiders flying by my eyes at like matrix slow speeds, like, and like really having like a moment with these spiders that are flying by my face. And it's just like, it was, it was super trippy that like all this was happening. I'm like, I just wanted to contain like three spiders. And then all of a sudden there's like 4 million that I'm trying to contain. They're not having it. Like they're all over everything. I'm having to shake things out outside. It just got really chaotic really quickly. And I remember at the end of the dream, I just kind of gave into the fact that there's a million spiders around and they're going to do what they're going to do. And then I just have to sit back and be, and like, you know, maybe I could learn something from this experience instead of trying to fix it. And that was like pretty much the, the whole entire dream, but it was super trippy. Did they feel, so I don't get a sense of, and in general with you and animals, your wonderful stance with the beings we share this realm with, uh, mm -hmm a fear or anything like that so they didn't there was no fear factor here correct mm -mm, no 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 fear just just felt like it was out of control and i was really trying to to not control them for my own sake but control them for for what i felt was their safety and yeah. they weren't they just weren't allowing that yeah that's interesting when when would you say that was um that was probably may probably happened in may okay yeah that's interesting and so there's a lot going on with spiders and spider dreams right now i'll just let you know that mm -hmm. uh and i i just personally had had a crazy spider dream uh that i don't know who i was talking to about i think james bartley actually anyway and so yeah, there's something, there's, there's some overlap going on with the spiders right now that I'm intrigued Definitely. by. What mm -hmm. about uh, other dreams that are, are pop out dreams for you in the last, in this period since say the lockdown? Hmm. So the, the Hitler one came to mind, the spiders, um, I know I have them written down in journals. I should have, I should have taken a little peeksy at those before, but 
I don't know. I haven't had dreams as of late because I really kind of shut down to that possibility in the last couple months. Um, more so because I was really, I didn't feel the need to go into dream space because all of that would, that was happening for me in dream space has actually been happening, happening in nature for me. So I haven't really felt the need to go into that space mentally because I'm, I'm getting it in other ways. So I've had some really magical experiences with animals this year. So this um, summer during lockdown, I did the great American dream and I got in my car and I drove from to Utah um was being my final destination and just and I did this all by myself you know I kind of was having dates where I could just drive and think and be with my own self and um so while I was doing this I stopped at you know a few national park so i visited arches and canyon lands which are in utah uh, uh, mesa verde great sand dunes so like all of the beautiful and pure energy so so like i distinctly remember going on this hike and you know i live in north carolina it's not uncommon to see deer but when i had right. this i had an experience mm -hmm. No, I, I was agreeing and where you are in oh, Appalachia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yes. So I had this, this experience with these deer on a path in, in Colorado and like, they were very close to me. I mean, I'd say maybe 10 feet away from me. And like, we literally just had like this telepathic communication. Like there was an understanding between each other um and you know my opinion of animals I've always had a high opinion of animals but like in the last couple of years I've really made it um a point to become uh, at least vegetarian and at the time I, I try to be vegan as much as I can um so I would say and that's just a personal thing I don't have any judgment towards anybody in any way shape or form yeah um but since I've had this this newfound connection to animals because of choices that I've personally made like the experiences have been more amazing than I think I've ever had in my life. So just having like this telepathic communication with these deer and this understanding. Um, and it was like, it was deep. Like I can't even really like explain it. There's just like, you know, deer are known for being uh, so gentle. Like you just look into a deer's eyes and there's just this sense of like peace about them, but they're all as gentle as they are. They're as much paranoid as they are gentle. So, you know, they kind of live in this dualistic realm and they're brain like there's a definite split there where they're trying to um live in nature and take it for all of the peace that it has to offer but because of the relationship that they've had with you know humans and other predators they're constantly on guard so i think that's really uh metaphorical for our own lives like we all seek peace or most of us seek peace and want to live in this this fairy realm but you know at any given point we have something coming around the corner at us which causes us to be on our guard and so it was just really magical with the, that little school of deer. They were just really sweet beings. Um, and in the same hike, you know, I came across a baby bear and its mother, um, which can be scary yes. when you're hiking <laughs> for sure. Um, was it a black bear? I wasn't, it was, um, no, it was a brown bear. It was not, I don't think they classify them as grizzlies, but they are brown. Yeah. Um, there was a bear in my subdivision. I, I was not in between. <laughs> sorry 
Is it a black one or a brown one? It was black. <laughs> it's crazy oh, though that it was down in a subdivision. Yeah, totally. You might see more bears than I have up here. Goodness, I've <laughs> only seen like one or two. That's the first bear I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> oh, <Really? laughs> oh my! Well, it's your spirit animal. <laughs> I, I don't think so. It's an octopus, my spirit animal. Oh my. <laughs> Okay, so Stacy, back to your bear experience. <laughs> Derailed. Uh, so yeah, in the same in the same uh, little hike there, you know, I come across a, a baby bear and its mom, and you know, I was really thankful that I wasn't in between the two. They were congregated together because that could have gotten bad quick. Um, but I kind of just got off the path at that point, and I went and like kind of hid out in a little grove um, because I didn't want them to like circle back behind me and cut off my path like back to my vehicle so I just kind of like sat back for a little bit and I let them have their space and do their thing and just kind of observe from a distance but I mean just uh, things like that and then just other things like with with elk like um herds of elk just you know and elk make such beautiful magical noises and they're just so majestic and glorious and they are know, birds yeah. like birds just having really deep connection with birds and um it was just, it was, it was insane. Like, and then, you know, in that same trip, I had an experience with a UFO. So, I mean, it was literally just a trip of amazingness all the way around. Now, you know, you've got to give us the UFO experience. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I mean, I've had, I've had plenty of UFO experiences, <laughs> but I'll tell you about this particular one. Um, so I'm there in a beautiful Colorado and I mean there's there doesn't seem to be an ugly place there it's all just so magical and it's great energy uh and I kept I kept feeling this strong pull this is the last night I'm in Colorado so the next day I'm supposed to make my trek towards back towards North Carolina so the last night I'm there I feel this huge strong pull to go outside on to like the the porch that was just overlooking kind of this open field and these be beautiful expansive skies that are full of stars because there's not light pollution there and so whatever this call was I I, I obeyed it you know I honored it um, because it was it was not letting up it was a call that began at like four o'clock in the afternoon so even before you know it had been dark or anything like that like those those telepathic prompts were there from, you know, whatever wanted to greet me. So I decided to honor these feelings, go outside, you know, I'm looking up in the sky and, and, you know, your eyes can often play tricks on you when you stare at the sky. Um, so, you know, taking in these tall, beautiful grasses and I'm seeing all these different lights come up from the grass and like, I mean, for, I, I know people have different beliefs, but for me, there's only, there's only one logical explanation to that. And that's, it's fairies and the way that they were moving and flitting about, like, you know, I, I know the difference between a lightning bug and things like that. Like these fairies, I, I'm, I call it a fairy rave. It was like a full on fairy rave that was happening in the grass <laughs> because there must've been like 20 or 30 different colored lights. There was blues, there was greens, there was whites, yellows, reds, pinks, purples. Like, so all these trippy colors and um, just interacting with one another, but also like inter interacting to the telepathic thoughts that I was also sending their way. So it's like this whole fairy rave is happening in the grass, right? So then I, you know, get the notion that, you know, I want to go back to the skies. I'm going to move back to 
to check him that out. And, you know, over to my left side is this, there's this white ball that I'm like, ah, it's just a star. And then like this white ball just starts making all these erratic moves. And I'm like, oh, this is not a star. Um, so I start, you know, having like the, the telepathic communication with, with this ship, um, you know, asking it to come closer, asking it to do, you know, to shine its light or to do a, a, a sign or a signal that they're getting like the thought transference. A power, a power up. Them. We call those yeah. power ups. So like, I like it. Well, I'm, I have a term now. So uh, <laughs> I'm doing all these things and, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's making all of these trippy movements. So like see loop-de-loops and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's orb-like, um, but it was pretty far away. So I imagine it was actually a pretty decent sized ship to be the size that it was appearing in the sky from its distance. So um, after a little while, it, it wouldn't really ever get any closer than its closest point. And I wouldn't even say that that was super close, uh, definitely close enough for me to like make out like shapes and the placement of like light and stuff on it. But um, after it didn't ever, it wasn't interested in, in coming any closer than what it did. Um, you know, I kind of just called it a night, but like that whole experience was just really, really special between the, the fairy rave and the UFO experience. Like I knew my intuition was telling me that there was some magical energy that was happening out there and that I needed to go be a part of that experience. So I was really happy that I listened to it because it was uh, definitely magical. Oh yeah. So and you had led into the idea that you've had a relationship with having UFO experiences over time. How far back does that go? Mm -hmm. um, physical UFOs, The I would say the first time that I saw those was actually more so in adulthood. So in the last couple of years. But the presence of beings has always been a part of my my life and some of them have shown themselves to me um this is funny jerry your everything is demons hashtag <laughs> this is going to kind of come in with that um for whatever reason and and i don't i don't know if i want to call them demons i don't know what i want to call them they're just other beings and what they are is you know it's of no judgment to me but like for what for the sake of giving something a name i've always had a connection with more so they've had a connection with me i, I don't know that this was anything of my own choosing but for whatever reason, dark energy, so demons, just darker energy has always been attracted to me. So it's always put itself in my path. It's asked to be recognized, addressed, make itself known. I've had to be like, for whatever reason, they're into my energy and they don't have a problem showing themselves to me. And I don't have a problem seeing them. Um, maybe when I was younger, I was a little bit more fearful of it. But I just understand now in adulthood that everybody or everything, every being has a job to do um, and to label it good, bad and different, whatever. It's just, I'm not, it's just not about that anymore. Um, yeah. I don't want to get hung up on those things because, you know, if you look back in, in the Bible and things like that, like, you know, God often sent his angels to do his dirty yes. work. I mean, the de the demons were kind of getting like the more fun, the more fun jobs, you know, for if there's such a thing, <laughs> it's always the archangels that are raining holy hell. On oh yeah. So, the archangels you know, are I scary. Decided that, yeah, for real. Um, so I decided that these beings are coming to me and they have an attraction to me for a reason. And 
the very least I can do is just give a listen. I think that's the, what most of us want is just somebody to listen to us, to hear us out. And, and who am I to say that, you know, these beings aren't able to do that as well. Like just because somebody talks to you doesn't mean you need to adopt their energy, but giving just anything the platform to speak. I mean, I think you can hear things out, but for whatever reason, that kind of energy has always been attracted to me and I don't really understand it. I would like to understand it. And there are ways for me to understand it. I'm just not uh, ready to go there yet. Um, but I always thought that that was interesting. Have they popped up in, in your liminal spaces? So in the dream realm? Yes. Um, yeah. So I've had, I don't know. It's hard it's hard to explain because there's, there's some psychological term for this, which is, I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's just, um, to me, it's BS. Like I know what I experience and I know what happens, but you know, I've had, and I think a lot of people have had the, the sensation of where they're being gripped tightly by a being. Um, and I've had that kind of experience where I'll just say for the lack of a better term, I'll say a demon was on, on, on me, like behind me in a, in a hugging grip that would not let me go. And I've had that experience lots of times, even from childhood. Um, so like a sleep, so like, like a sleep paralysis kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. That there's the term okay. the just like, Oh, it's all in your imagination kind of thing. And like, that's all fine and well, if that's what people need to tell themselves to go to sleep at night. But like, you know, what you experience, you can tell fact from fiction. And um, again, just kind of going back to the dream where, you know, I could smell and taste like flesh, like similar things happen. Like I can feel the hot air on my neck from the being breathing. Like there's just all these sensory things that happen that you just can't, you can't just write off. Like it was a part of the experience. So I noticed that I end up having that kind of experience when I'm closed off. Um, when I'm not really wanting to address the emotional side of me. If I am open to emotions and wanting to feel and experience, then a lot of the times they'll come, they'll just, they'll just pop into my airspace. So like I can immediately feel when I have a, a being with me, you know, in my space, it's just instant and, but they pop in less abrasively when I'm open to it than when I'm just completely closed off. It seems like that's when I said, either I can choose to give them a presence or they're going to make their self known. So like I choose the more, um, less stressful path, I guess. So I'd rather something just pop in with me and us be able to have a conversation, um, than to feel forced or controlled. If that makes sense. Why do you think they have chosen to make themselves known to you in such a repetitive way? Oh my gosh, it's the million dollar question. I, I think when I talk to anybody about this, that's the number one question is like, I just want to know, I want to know why, like, what do I have that they want? What experience have I had that they want to know more about? Like, you know, it's just, it's hard to not even be able to limit it down to, okay, do I have something that I want that they want? No, I've, I experienced something that they want to know about. Like, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any of those answers. And like I said, I can get those answers. There are methods to be able to have those conversations, but I'm just not sure that I'm ready for those conversations or that I'm trained enough to have those conversations. Cause I definitely don't want to give over my own personal power um, to something that's just a little bit more 
uh, cunning and manipulative. So like, I don't want to accidentally give away, you know, too much, I guess. I just, I don't feel prepared to go down that path yet. It could be just as simple as the fact that you listen. Yeah. That you yeah, can, maybe. you can communicate with them. Most people can't. Mm. Hmm. Are you, do you know your blood type? Are you RH negative? No, I'm O positive. Okay. Interesting. I mean, you never know. We're, it's, we're all just reaching to understand these, these lines of communication that it seemed to happen with certain families, especially. Did any of your family ever mention anything on this level? And I know they're deeply Christian. Mm -hmm. And so, and also, as you said, they keep things more to themselves. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's possible they did and didn't divulge this information as well. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it, I would be interested to know because everybody in my family is really artistic. Um, like my dad went to school for architecture. My mom and my brother are both really good artists um, in terms of like drawing and stuff. I'm really creative um, in senses of like, like design and jewelry and things like that. And like, you know, putting like, you know, the modeling world, putting together outfits, stuff like that. So we all have these really like deep creative aspects to us. And I feel like um, a lot of the times people who are creators are oftentimes um, proxies for these these things that want to be heard and known. Um, but again, that's just coming from a, a pretty closed off emotionally family. Um, it's hard to know if they've had experiences. I know that they have spoken about UFO experiences before. So I definitely know that even, um, you know, with their deep religious beliefs, they, they are open to um, life outside of just humans. So I've at least yeah. got that out of them. Yeah. Is there a connection between, so when we're just talking about brass tacks, mm -hmm. not taxes and what the government does, I know yeah. my accent always sounds so crazy. Uh, between so when we parse out these ideas of interdimensional and physical and all that where are you where is that for you with this in context to these others uh i, I mean in terms of my uh universal beliefs worldview kind of thing i mean i just i believe that everything is fractal so it's all just you know happening within itself over and over again and there could be a million different versions of us walking around, you know, making slightly different decisions and different realities. So I don't, I don't limit things down to timelines or anything of like that. I guess, you know, time is just such a joke. It's so linear. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't like to put anything in boxes because that's definitely the Aquarian thing. Like nobody wants, the Aquarius doesn't want to be in a box. So I'm not going to put things in boxes either. I'm just going to let them exist. Um, yeah knowing that in this life i'm never going to have all of the answers that this is all just experience you know we're a part that's part of the whole um so i don't feel the need to to have all that but i also believe that anything is possible and you know we've seen i mean at least i've seen i would assume i'm going to say we assuming that we've all had similar experiences where we've seen like just literal shifts in our in our reality and our timelines and like you know something that was one way this day is different than next, you know, even just down to changing color and like Mandela effect. And like, you know, I don't know about you, but like 
I grew up in what seems to be a totally different world than the one that we're living in. You know, my yeah. friend and I talk about this all the time that, you know, we grew up in a part of the universe where the sun was yellow. Like, I don't know if anybody's <laughs> yes. paid attention to the sun. It's completely white. It's this white blinding light. Like I remember being able to gaze at the sun and not, you know, have like huge radiation to my eyes. And now it's like the sun that we're, we look at, you know, on a daily basis now is just so foreign to what I grew up with. So there's clearly something happening. Like we're not living in the same exact timeline, reality, whatever that we were 20, 25 years ago. So like when you experience all that, when you experience these Mandela effects or just things that you knew to be true that have changed, you just, you come to the realization that this is a great big universe and that like all we have is like the tiniest tip of the iceberg and like what we're going to understand and perceive in this reality is so minute compared to what it actually is. And so I just don't let like, I don't let things dictate my experience. I mean, even just it's for somebody who is so, I was so black and white, like things were so either they were, or they were not. And now to be in this space where, you know, you just kind of let everything be without defining it is so foreign and so odd to me because like I, you know, and this is also a part of being young is I believed that I had it all down pat. Like I had the answers, things were, things were definitive. There was no, you know, there was no flex in the structure. And then you grow up to realize that everything you've been taught is most likely a lie or distorted. And you're literally starting over like a baby, just relearning and, and accepting and retraining your mind just to be open because, you know, we're raised to be closed-minded and to silo our beliefs and to silo ourselves into peer groups that agree with us. And, you know, in any way that doesn't agree with us is, you know, outcasted. So you just literally have to retrain yourself down to the very basic elements of understanding and learning. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious about where you land spiritually now, because you've made, we know Uh, and you have this very broad sense of the world that is lovely. I love it. It's very engaging mm -hmm. and I'm there with you. So I'm wondering what was this path? How did you get here from there? So it's, it's been a difficult one. Um, you know, and my parents and I have had a lot of conversations where we don't agree they don't agree with the path that I'm taking but you know there comes a point in your life and especially you know I kind of understood this when I had my own child that like if you're a parent and you're just raising a miniature version of you you've missed the mark like you've missed the purpose of parenthood and what it is to bring a life into this world because I don't truly believe that we need another us running around we need whatever that child is to just be and allow that child and give that child the freedom to explore who they are without projecting our own stuff onto them or creating miniature versions of ourselves. So all that to say, to go back, um, you know, Christianity was ingrained in me from birth. And I, I want to say a hundred percent that I do not fault my parents for their beliefs. I do not fault them for bringing me and my brother up in Christianity they did what they thought was the best for us. And I will never fault my parents for that. But there also comes a point in time where you, 
you establish your own beliefs and you test the the waters yourself and you don't just take it because somebody told you to. Um, so growing up Christian, literally from birth, um, it basically shaped the way that I did life entirely. So just to give you a, a depiction of who I was as a child and a, a teenager. So at my high school graduation, I was given the award for Christian leader of the year. And I believe that that was the pinnacle of, that was the point that set in motion my demise. So it's oh, like, girl. they give me the sort of, <laughs> it's the most effed up award that you could give somebody. Like I, I swear it was just a test. It's like here, this is, this has now become your curse. Um, so <laughs> the moment, like that. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Um, so I get this award. And, you know, I was trying to do everything like a little perfect Christian girl does, you know, saving yourself for marriage, the whole nine yards, all of that stuff. So it started off what would be picturesque to a Christian family as like the perfect little life, you know, just doing things in what they perceive as the right order. And then somewhere along the lines, I call it my quarter life crisis. I had a quarter life crisis where I just basically was like, you know, screw everything. Like uh, I have always had this weird thing. I don't, I don't know if it's ego. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the creator in me, but like to build up life to this point, And then you get like, you get bored with it. So you're like, let me rip the rug out completely start over so I can build my empire again. So like I have that trait in my personality, which isn't always great because it can be really destructive. It just it kind of reminds me of like Kali Ma kind of thing, just like yeah. destruction <laughs> of the universe. So like <laughs> I did, I lived out this little Christian fantasy of being this perfect person and being on an uber high horse that was just looking back now, it was just really repulsive because I was extremely judgmental. Um, I didn't, there was no room that, like, you know, it's funny because Christianity is a religion of what's supposed to be love. And oftentimes what you end up experiencing from Christianity is varying forms of hate. So I can tell you that as much as I profess to love Jesus Christ, and I was this wonderful person, I had a lot of hate in my heart for anything or anyone that disagreed with me. So it was an ugly, from a surface point, it was, it was perfect to people, but from an inside point, it was really ugly space to be in. So, and I knew that I was living an inauthentic life. I was not losing, I was not living my truth. So that's at the point in time that I just decided to burn everything down. Um, and for anybody who knows me, like I, I don't half-ass things. So like when I, <laughs> when I decide to do something, it's, 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 going, it's I'm going all in. So this happened um, and started a perpetual motion of bad choices, years of bad choices. Until I finally get to the point <laughs> of my awakening. Cause you know, you have to get sick of your own shit long enough, like for you to actually make any kind of yes. permanent change or catalyst change. Yes. So I was finally to the point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm actually over myself. Like, I don't, I don't want to be with this person anymore. Like this, this phase has lived itself out and now it's time for something new. And that's when I started settling down. And that's when the pregnancy happened. And that's when like the awakening happened and the, the, my whole, my whole worldview changed. Um, so I went, so where do I stand spiritually? I think, don't get me wrong. I think religion has its place. Um, 
you know, a friend of mine has called religion opium for the masses. And I don't disagree with that statement um, because I do think that there are people that need that kind of structure. But I also think that there are people that don't need that kind of structure that are completely fine on their own without all those parameters. And that's kind of where I'm living at now. Um, I don't have any opinions about religion other than the fact that I don't like what it did for my own life, but that was my own experience that I disagree with or not disagree with, just I wouldn't want to go down that again. So for me, I do believe in a creator. I think a lot of the times we get hung up on vernacular. I think a lot of the times we're talking about the same thing and giving it a different name, but more so than anything, I would just like to live in a world that respects other people's opinions and doesn't take their beliefs and establish them as truth. Like to just to have empathy and to, to listen. I mean, what kind of a world would we live in if we took all of those smoke and mirrors away and just kind of got things down to their raw form? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, this is a very beautiful transformation that has happened in you. And it's also, you know, you fall in that generation that's the millennials and there's you, the millennials take a lot of heat mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of millennials. Everyone that, mm-hmm. that listens to me chant, chatting around the world here knows this. I just love millennials. I know as with every group that comes in under the big planetary shifts, you know, there's, there's, this can be said of all of them, all the generations Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. there's, you know, that it parts, it's parsed out. There's good and bad in, in a, in a sense, you know, not good and bad. There's a variable group of people that is the mainstream. And then there are are these under tow elements that are just pushing it all forward in great ways. And I see that in the millennials. I really Mm -hmm. do. So my experience is fantastic and I'm thrilled about them. I'm a little bit worried about children coming into the world now as it is, because you see what, what the narrative is and how they're and that's got to be a little bit concerning as a, a parent of a very young child because mm-hmm. they're coming in and they don't know that the sun used to be yellow. They mm-hmm. don't know that there were days before the internet mm-hmm. and the digital overlay that's happening. And now with you know craziness, with, you cannot have contact with people too close and the mass and like all this stuff that's going on is is interesting and i'm just wondering you know i have a little bit of trepidation when i think forward with Mm -hmm. where we're going and so it's it's your generation that is giving birth right now too especially the majority you know a lot of them and so it's people like you and all these other fantastic millennials i know that understand the differences here and are actually trying to to parse out what my generation, Generation X, did that didn't work. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of millennials really understanding that mechanism. Mm -hmm. And again, this is outer planet stuff. Um, So here we go with this, this section. And I'm curious where we get back on that liminal thread the space in between 
Mm -hmm. and we think about the idea of the transientness, the transience of life, of mm -hmm. dreams, of memory, of the past, of the future, of everything that's not really at your focal point of consciousness, mm -hmm. wherever that is. What is your idea around death and what what goes on with that? So I would say that my view of death now is much different than my view of death, you know, say a decade ago. Um, again, you know, kind of just going back to the way that I was raised, the concepts of heaven and hell are used, um, you know, all throughout the Bible. And whether it's a scare tactic or, you know, just a, a reminder for right living or whatever the case may be, I don't really know. I can't say what that is. Um, but I know that Christianity is really focused on, well, you need to do this, this, and this, you know, to get into heaven. And, and, you know, you need to, not only do you need to accept this, but you need to, you know, try to live like this. It's, it's all conditional. And for me, that's really like, it's hard for me to accept um, because having, you know, lived a little bit of time on this earth, I think things are what we, we make of it. Like we very much could view pieces of heaven that exist on this earth. And we very much could view pieces of hell that exist on this earth. So like, are we creating our own personal heavens and our own personal hells? Are they physical places? You know, are these, are there steps to achieve? And I just don't think that, you know, I, I feel like the achievement-based society is, is so industrial. Like that just has man-made stamped all over it. I don't think we have to do anything. I think we just have to be, and even in death, we just be. So um, when we die, do I believe that we go to some physical, you know, place of paradise and whatever, or do we go to this eternal damnation? No, I'm not sure I believe those kind of things anymore. Um, I do believe that we are first and foremost, a soul uh, inhabiting a body and so if our soul, you know, and, and religions even talk about this, that, you know, the soul is eternal and it goes on forever. So, I mean, if all different religions are talking about this, uh, you know, there's truth in every single one of those religions, but there's also a lot of manipulative BS as well included in those religions. So if our soul is eternal and, you know, we're energy and you can't, you know, create or destroy energy, like we, we have to go somewhere. So, I mean, for me, the thought of reincarnation isn't far-fetched. You know, there's been things that have happened in my life that uh, are reminiscent of past life. So I just think that we are, we're, we're part of the universe experiencing itself and that, you know, we'll pop in and out as these different figures, you know, for all eternity or coming to glean the information that our soul wanted to learn. Um, so I think that death is really just kind of like a pop out into the next to the next mission or the next phase or whatever it is that you decided that you wanted to do um so for me living life now on this side with those kind of thoughts it's really freeing because i don't have to succumb to all these fear tactics of 
you know, living X, Y, and Z so that I get into heaven. Like, I don't know about you, but that whole thought is just extremely exhausting and just, there's so much pressure (laughs) and like, and that's the really tough thing that I have with Christianity that, you know, the first and foremost commandment is to, is to love God. Well, like how many times have you ever loved somebody because you were forced to, I mean, that's not love. That's coercion. That's manipulation. Yes. Like, and just, so I have a really tough time with anything that starts making mandates like that, because that is just like, it's almost like a mockery. Like I command you to love me. Okay. Well, do you know what love is? Because like, if we went over that, like you would see that this is usually not a choice. Like it's just something, something that happens usually unexpected and at the, all the completely wrong times. And it's just so for things like that are so stringent like that, I'm just like, no, this can't be. And so kind of same thing with death, like so definitive, but like, you know, you know, every end is a new beginning. So if you believe that, like, then sky's the limit. You're, it's just, you're going to come back and you're going to do what you do in different forms, facets, eras, versions, you know, I just think that we are so, we as humans, there's something that happens in our brain where we have to make things, you know, very black and white in order for us to accept them. For whatever reason, we have this fear of the unknown. We have the fear of the gray area, which is so amazing because all of the magic happens in that area. Like, yes, things aren't fun when you know what's going to happen. Things are fun when it's an adventure. It's excitement. It's new. Like, so the, the whole concept of just creating all of these bounds and these chains and these shackles is just really humorous. Didn't you get the memo? We can't have fun anymore. No, no fun. <laughs> nope. Have you, in your dream world, in your dream life, have you had any connection to uh, experiencing people that have died before? So you had forethought with it, or you had it popped up in your dream that someone was going to pass, and then, and then they did. Uh, or also, have you had contact with the dead in your dreams, the dead that you know? Yes, yes, and yes. So uh, I, anytime something life-changing is going to happen um, in, in a person that's close to me, so either a close family member or close friend, uh, I almost always sense that inside. I can't always say that I know exactly what it is, but I always know to pick up the phone or to send a text because there's something occurring that would warrant, you know, me needing to be there or to be there to listen to somebody. So I, I do usually, I am energetically sensitive enough to usually feel those things um, happening within people that are close to me. Um, and a lot of the times they don't even tell me then. A lot of times I'll feel that I'll, I'll find out after. So then I kind of have to go back and, and reconcile the time that it happened for me with the time that it happened for that person. And then as far as contact with the dead, I've had um, multiple visits from both of my grandmothers so both the grandmother um that lived next door to me and then my mom's mom who i was really close with but she didn't live quite as close um i always feel like they've been like my fairy godmother ghost protectors uh in adult life it just seems like um 
and it's probably a lot of it has to do is like, I, I have their, their energy surrounds me because I have their things. Like I have my grandmother's sewing machine and their jewelry and stuff like that. So I have totems that connect me directly to their energy. Um, but even without all that, that I can sense them and I know that they're there. Um, and you know, we are able to have conversations enough to the fact where they can make something happen in my own physical reality. So whether that be like lights flickering or making a noise, like I I can confirm with them that it's them. And I I know people can say, well, how do you know that it's them, that it's not some other being that's trying to manipulate you? And all I can say to that is, of course it's possible. Anything's possible. But I think at some point, we have to trust our own intuition that nobody's ever going to be able to teach that to us, that that's just something we innately know. And I think, you know, like, you know, I think, especially when you're in tune, we all have this uh, sense inside of us, like, Oh, this is energy. I don't really want to be around, or this is energy that actually makes me feel really good about myself. Like we all have those kind of um, receptors in us. So yes, could it be something manipulating me? Absolutely. I'm not going to rule it out, but I also trust my own intuition more so than just, Joe off the street telling me what I should believe um so there's just there's a connection there and the grandmas show up in my life when it starts when when start things start getting tough so like if things are are pretty even keeled there's not a whole lot of you know excitement happening it's usually pretty quiet but if I'm making big moves the grandmas usually show up in some way usually just to say we support you in this or just consider taking a second look at this, Stacy. So like they usually have two ways. They're either like cheerleaders or they're like, mm, you might want to pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. I mean, grandmother energy is amazing energy because you know, they're not, they're not your mom or your dad, but they're a mother or a father figure. Um, but they kind of have that edge about them. They have all that life wisdom, which is so invaluable. Like I think, I think that's, that's the thing that frustrates me with the millennial group is that they're so quick to write off um, their elders, but really their elders were not born yesterday. They're so aware of things, the same things that, you know, we go through just maybe in a different way. Um, So like, I respect their ancestral wisdom and, you know, ultimately I'm going to make my own decisions regardless of anybody's prompts or advice, but to just know that they're there, like to know that you're not alone, even after death, that they're still involved in your life. But I also think you have to be open to that too. So yeah, maybe not everybody experiences it. Yeah. What, I mean, you know, that you're exceptional in some of these ways where you're, you're really open to the world around you. And, and when I say that, I mean the larger idea of it. And this includes all of that in between space and Mm -hmm. you said something very interesting to me and something that i covet in my own world our totems of our our personal ancestors especially those we knew and have a real connection to Mm -hmm. and i i cherish those kinds of things i do not have much anymore after two fires i just have a few Mm. few things of my momo and grandmothers and the grandmother energy has always been my favorite as, mm-hmm. for the reasons you stated but do you, what do you think about totems that connect you to uh ancestral lines and so i'm talking about on an energetic level and not on like a physical materialistic level not mm-hmm. y- you know where i'm going with that 
Yeah. So it's more the energetics and not, not like your nationalism, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, oh, that's funny. You're talking about that. Cause I'm literally wearing a ring right now. That was my grandmother's. Um, Aww. and you know, like I love, like, I love jewelry. Like it's, you know, jewelry's great. But that's like, our synchronicity bell. <laughs> Is that the is that the make it off the Oscar stage bell? <laughs> no, it's <clears throat> whenever there's a synchronicity, we just ring it. I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it, it's not it's not even it's not about this ring and the way that it looks. Of course, it's beautiful and things like that. But like I have a like this piece of her because it, it, it she wore it on her body on her person has like a forever energetic tie to her like even though she's not here with me anymore like at any given time I feel like I can find her in the spiritual realm if like if I need her like it's as simple as you know calling upon her and I feel like this kind of goes back with this is like an element in other religions too is having a a piece or a certain something from that someone to to tie into that energy or sometimes to do bad things so I mean using somebody's but you know more so like focusing on the good things is that it's just it has there's a residue on it that is just part of that other person and for me it's much easier to connect if I have something like that I can do it without without anything but it just seems like those kind of things such as like touching that sewing machine or you know feeling this ring like it's just like a direct tie and it's just like it's like having the uh the direct line instead of like having to call the hotline yes um, yes so it's like it's not even about the things or what they are it's literally just that you know the number one thing that you miss usually when someone passes on is just the ability to like touch them like physically connect with them whether that be a hug or a kiss or holding hands or you know whatever who whatever the relationship was to you what it would warrant like that's that's like you don't think about all those other things you're just like oh if I could just touch you one more time like or if I could just hug you one more time like and I feel like these these things that we keep in our life that are passed down to us are are our way of connecting with them direct line yeah absolutely the energetic signatures and that's part of the patina on a material objects that comes down you know, when somebody's wearing something for a long time, that patina is part of that inanimate object. Or, you know, your grandmother sewing at that sewing machine, there's an energetic heel that is part of the patina. It's very visceral for those of us that are able to tap into that. Even mm-hmm. tapping into the idea gains access into the visceral experience because Absolutely. you're opening up that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful thing. And I really appreciated the fact that you call them totems rather than heirlooms. I think that mm-hmm. just gives them more. I love the idea of heirlooms. Heirlooms are beautiful and all that. And it's a beautiful word. But totem has a little more punch to it and feels a little mm-hmm. more sacred. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I'm wondering, we are kind of rounding rounding to that time if we've got questions for Stacy. I got one, but I wanted to say first, like long before I tried to get in a few times. Oh, Jerry, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> not I you. It wasn't you. I mean, you <laughs> both were talking. I didn't want to interrupt. Conversation. <laughs> Going back to the spiders. Uh-huh. That a lot of people talk about 
spiders representing um, like an artificial or a non-organic intelligence that lives in the fourth dimension, like in the astral plane. Mm. And the spiders manifest physically. I don't know how it works. Astral spiders, Google it, you'll, you'll read about it. But that's, you know, there's a lot of talk about that with people who are sensitive energetically. And the question I have for you was... There is, there is a, just on that spiders, Jerry, that's what I was saying to Stacy. There's a lot to unpack there yeah. and it's definitely a rabbit hole worth going down. Yeah. I've heard people say it's the representation of the insectoid energy that you know rules humanity. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, it's I, worth going down. Cliff High was even talking about that. Yeah. There's a mm. lot of chat All about right. it. So the question I have is, do you ever dream of dogs or wolves? Um, I would say probably I've had some, I'm thinking of one significant, uh, dream with, with a wolf in it. And, and basically it was just kind of like that, that deer connection that I had in like, like in the, in my actual reality of connecting with this wolf. And, and this wolf was very much, uh, it was very much a being like this was this is a conscious thinking being just living there that existence out as a wolf for that particular experience maybe it was your spirit animal yeah maybe (laughs) for sure you're very wolfy in my opinion yeah like i've always identified with you know because they're just they have real okay so they have really intense eyes and um yeah, pe- people often say that about me i don't know if i don't know if my picture comes up when i'm talking or oh whatever, yeah we're, like, we can see you yeah so like most people i've had people actually be fearful of my eyes before so it kind of with the wolf the way that when like a wolf hooks in like on their gaze and yes. they will just, they will stare something down till the death like i can really that really resonates me with with, with the wolf with the wolf energy um, because you know, they're, they're badass. I mean, they, they can, they can choose to be this, this motherly nurturing figure, but if they need to tear in, like they will also do that too. Like they're just, they're very dualistic. Um, so for me, that's always been an animal that I could identify with because there's, there's this saying that says, throw me to the wolves and I'll come back leading the whole pack. Well, that is absolutely <laughs> like my energy. Um, I'm not, I'm not a lay down and die kind of girl. I'm a definitely fight to the death. Um, and not physically just, you know, just whatever that, whatever that means. You have, Um, I have two wolves. You have wolf energy for sure. Awesome. Yeah, no, that definitely uh, resonates. So as far (laughs) as dreams, I've not had a lot of dreams of wolves in them, but I do remember that one where that, that wolf was like a definite being. And there was definitely a, a, a telepathic conversation going on between me and the wolf do you recall like wolves, what I mean, that just, was um that one was, was like when i was probably early 20s so that's like back before even awakening or that before i would have even like even gone further with that but i just remember being out in the snow and walking and um coming across this this wolf that was just doing whatever it was doing i don't know if it was looking for food or whatever it was but it's like we both it's like we were both doing the same thing but the wolf was an animal and i was a human so like we had this like we look up at each other and we have this understanding between each other's like telepathic transference that like 
you like you do you I'm gonna do me but like I completely respect you for everything and all that you are and like it was again with those deer it was just like this this sense of respect this deep understanding for something that's different from us but yet so very much alike and I just all I can really remember is just like having this this utmost respect for each other uh, in our own habitats and uh, for that particular point in time we were crossing paths but that was kind of an unnatural uh, meeting that doesn't happen in everyday life but I think that's just so uh, reminiscent of life that we we run into these situations or we get put into situations that are not typical for our life but they're either really huge learning experiences or you get to do something that's so uh, amazing that you wouldn't have had the ability to do in any other situation or setting. Yeah. Uh, Stacy, mm -hmm. I feel like you dropped off there. No, she's just done talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Did my internet go out? It just felt like an abrupt, abrupt end. It happened to be it's at the Aquarian. end of the sentence. It's the Aquarian so. in me. I'm keeping you on your toes. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> I'm always fully engaged in these interactions, though. So that's why I don't mm -hmm. look at chat or anything. Um, yeah. All right. Jerry, any other questions? Nope. That's a no. Wow. We're like on time. This is amazing. Yeah. This has been a lovely lovely interaction with you yes thank you yes no thank you for having me on it's been it's been great to talk about these things i really like this this pod because uh you ask questions that like you just don't sit here and like usually have a mental conversation about so that it's like remapping my brain as we speak it's pretty cool <laughs> i told you it was it, almost therapeutic it is it is therapeutic for sure well and it's been you have such a gorgeous photo looking at us on <laughs> on our um, zoom here that's very engaging so when you were talking about the eyes and all that is like yes this is this is um clear i mean you've got the dark goddess energy in you so the father morgana that you know raven haired Hecate. yeah Hecate, raven haired piercing eyes and beautiful so it has been oh, a great pleasure you. and thank you for spending time yeah, with thanks us. so much absolutely did, it's did been you, great did you want to plug any of your stuff that i didn't mention oh no you did a pretty good job at, at mentioning it all you have a really really good spread well, you should so, no, plug I mean, it just, again <laughs> uh so where you can find me at these days is uh so I, i'm a bit of a nerd and i like a good pun so uh my brand is homeostasis <laughs> i mean stace stacy um I, I got it too much but i got it too it's good <laughs> so uh homeostasis with the stasis part being s-t-a-c-e-i-s.com um find me on instagram at, at the stacy jewel it's probably the easier spot to go to to find all my stuff Insta i'm all linked up there at don't the pay Stacey attention jewel. to him oh <laughs> i get it now i get it i get it I'm a little slow. It's 11 o'clock. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, just if you want to connect with me there, that's great. I'm usually pretty good about answering things. Um, I'm usually pretty good about answering DMs as long as they're not lewd or lascivious. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, no, just um, I'm always out there doing something. I'm an ultimate creator. So it usually changes from year to year what it is that I'm doing. Um, I did have the podcast 
I'll just quickly, I'll give a, a, a brief backstory to that. So I took a break from the po- podcast because I was talking about topics that were uh, hot at the moment. And it just, it became um, an issue with my personal life with threats, with like death oh, threats. Dear. So, yeah. yeah. So I took a, a spot back from that, but I do want to get back into it because um, wellness and, and healthy living and all those kind of things and all facets is really important to me. So I would like to shift the podcast to that, but I just needed to take a mental break from that, but you can check out all the past episodes. They're still up and hosted. Um, you can go to my YouTube. There's some great uh, interviews with some really phenomenal people on there too. Great. And I've put links for all that in the show descriptions and in the show notes in our discord channel, which I'm pretty sure you joined. So people can yeah. reach you there too. Yes, exactly. Cool. Well, thanks again. It's been great talking to you finally after yes. a month and uh, thank you everyone for listening. We've had a great, great evening and we'll see you next week. Our guest is going to be, who is it? Alex Stein. He's going oh, to again, yeah. on a Nox Mente versus a novelist. <laughs> Alex is fun. And for the week after that, I'm working on some cool people. So, And we are getting Mel Crow back. Yeah, she'll be back before Thanksgiving. And then Amazing uh, how much people really are wanting to yeah. her to finish her what she was on. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear it too. I was like, I want to hear all this shit. Get back in here. Anyway, yeah. that's all I got. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, Nish. Thank, Thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much, guys. It's Thank great you, having Stacey. you. Thanks, Jerry, and everyone out there that that listens in and for the words that bind the people. Right. Smooches.